want you to look with me, if you will, in 2 Kings chapter 8. A very familiar scripture, but I want you to notice when we read this passage of scripture, the first six verses, how many times the scripture in your translation may be a little different than mine. I'm using the New King James Version. But how many times the word restored shows up in this scripture? Verse 1, the Bible says this, And Elijah, Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of the seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was a woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. Then Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. She just happened to show up at the same time they were discussing these things. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, I want you to restore all that was hers, all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. I want you to restore everything that she had lost up until now. Everybody say restore. When you read that story, it's an uplifting story. It's an amazing story. It's, a, it's an interesting story about this woman who stood to lose her son, who stood to lose her property, but had both of them restored. This woman is an interesting woman because if you do a research on this woman, there's a lot of things that her and Elisha had taken care of. They had discussed many times, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. There's some things here that I want you to notice that you and I, I believe with all of our heart, can gain uh, this holiday season, if you will. Uh, we, can, we can learn from this story of the Shunammite woman for the restoration of her household. Now, I understand that as we go through the holidays, holidays for everybody is not the same. Y'all are aware of that, right? For some, holidays are a wonderful thing. Holidays reflect the meaning of life. They reflect family, as, as we've heard and several alluded to already this morning. They reflect different things within our own particular family. When I think of holidays, I think of Christmas time and Thanksgiving, as Dad said, going down to Mississippi and being able to eat out underneath the pine trees. Now, I know for some of y'all thinking, Pastor, we don't ever do that. We've never ate out underneath the pine trees. Well, that was the cool thing when we was growing up, and I still enjoy it today. Matter of fact, in my home church, when we was growing up, when we had those dinner on the ground sort of things, that's what it was, dinner on the ground. The ladies would bring the food, and they'd have sawhorses, Brother Sam, set up with plywood on it and all kinds of things to hold the food, they'd put the food outside and they would cover it with uh, sheets or blankets or whatever and allow the sun of the day to keep the food hot while the preacher preached. And you went and you ate and you didn't get sick. Isn't that amazing? Today if we'd do that, we'd feel like we'd had uh, E. coli and all kind of other stuff messing around. But we ate dinner on the ground. Well, that's, that's what we think about when we think about holidays. But for others... Holidays is not so pleasant. Holidays is a reminder maybe of a loved one that they lost during the holidays. Holidays is a reminder of the not so good 
family upbringing that many have, and so they struggle with these particular things. But there's some things here we can learn. Maybe we can understand this restoration thing in the area of relationships. Maybe we can understand restoration in the area of communication or, or trust, or like this woman, a financial state that, that needs to be restored. But whatever needs to be restored in the household, I want to tell you something. The Word of God today gives us hope that it can be restored. It can be restored. If you look and read this earlier incident of 2 Kings chapter 4 about the life of Elisha, the Shunammite woman, she was an extremely kind to this prophet of God. She was extremely over, overly kind, really, to Elisha. Matter of fact, she's the one, if you remember, that built a room on her house, that furnished that room and fed the prophet every time that he came through the area. There was nowhere demanded in the law. It was, it was nowhere demanded that she needed to do this, but she chose to do it anyway because she wanted simply to help the man of God. Some of you remember some years ago, we done a whole series on building the room, building a room for God, building a room for the, for the prophet of God. In response to her kindness, Elisha told the woman that God would bless her with the child. She and her husband had not been previously been able to, to have a children, and so this was, this was wonderful news to her. But many of you remember in the story that the son grew up, he grows ill several years later, and the son dies. He dies. But miraculously, Elisha restores life to the son. Restores life to the son. And the point I want to emphasize today, that it seems that God's power was available in this woman's life because maybe of some measure that she rewarded, he, re, he rewarded her for her kindness that he showed, that she showed the prophet of God. She didn't have to do all of those things, but she wanted to bless the man of God. This story teaches us that, that we need to practice kindness as well. And probably when we, when we get ready to think about this Christmas season or Thanksgiving season that we just come through, we probably really do need to practice love and kindness all throughout this season because you know as well as I know there's some crazy folk out in our world. They do some crazy things. They drive crazy. They shop crazy. They think crazy. They all kind of crazies, right? Now, you're not one of them. I understand that. But there's a lot out there. But for us as a child of God, we need to practice love and kindness during this Christmas season. <coughs> her name was Miss Thompson. She stood in front of her fifth grade class on, every, on, the, on the very first day of school. She told the children a lie. Like most of the teachers, she looked at the students and said that she loved them all the same. But that was impossible because there in the front row, there was a little guy by the name of Teddy. His name was Teddy Stoddard. Miss Thompson watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he didn't play well with other children, that his clothes were messy, and that, she, that he constantly needed a bath. And Teddy could be unpleasant at times. It got to the point, matter of fact, where Miss Thompson would actually delight in marking his papers with a broad red pen, marking bold X's, and putting a big F on the top of his papers. At the school where Miss Thompson taught, she was required to review each child's past records, but she put Teddy's off until last. However, when she reviewed his files, she was in for a huge surprise. 
Teddy's first grade teacher wrote this. Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness at life at home, and it must be a struggle for this young man. <laughs> his third grade teacher said, his mother's death has been hard on Teddy. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't seem to show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if some steps are not taken. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote this, Teddy is withdrawn and doesn't show much interest at school. He doesn't have many friends, and sometimes he sleeps in class. By now, Miss Thompson, his teacher, the fifth grade teacher, realized the problem as she was ashamed of herself of how she treated Teddy. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper except for Teddy's. His present was clumsily wrapped in a little heavy brown paper sack that he got from the grocery store. When Miss Thompson took pains to open in the middle of all the other presents, some of the children began to stare and laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones that was missing and a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. And she stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed how beautiful the bracelet was. And she put the bracelet on and then she dabbed some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy Stoddard stayed after school that day long enough just to say, Miss Thompson, today you smelled just like my mama. After the children left, Miss Thompson began to cry for at least an hour. On that very day, she quit teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and instead she began to teach children. There is a difference. Miss Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. As she worked with him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded, and by the end of the year, Teddy became one of the best students in the class. And despite her lie that she would love all the children the same, Teddy became one of her teacher's pets. A year later, she found a note under the door from Teddy telling her that she was still the best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Six years went by before she got another note from Teddy, and he wrote, and he had finished high school, third in his class, and she was still the best teacher that he had ever had. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he'd stayed in school and stuck it with it, and soon graduate, graduated from college with the highest of honors. And she was still the best teacher that he had ever had in his whole life. Then four more years passed and another letter came. This time he explained that after he got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little further. The letter explained that she was still the best teacher and the favorite teacher, but now his name was a little longer. The letter was signed Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. The story doesn't end there. There was yet another letter that... Come that spring, Teddy said that he met the girl and he was going to get married. He explained that his father had died a couple of years early and he was wondering if Mrs. Thompson might agree to sit in the place at the wedding that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Of course, she came and guess what? She wore the bracelet and one of the rhinestones and with several of the rhinestones missing and she made sure to wear that same perfume that Teddy gave her several years later, earlier. She got there, they hugged one another, and Dr. Stoddard whispered in Miss Thompson's ear and said, Thank you, Miss Thompson, for believing in me. 
thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. Miss Thompson, at that moment, with tears in her eyes, whispered back. She said, Teddy, you got it all wrong. You were the one who taught me that, that I could make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. When you think about that story, it's kindness, really, pure and simple. It's the love that one person shows to another person. Kindness has had a great impact in the lives of others. See, a lot of times we're read so readily to criticize others, but we don't know their story. We don't understand their history. One of the things that we've done in our early on in our connect groups is, is talking about everybody's got a story. Y'all remember that, those of you that was a part of that? I don't know about everybody else's group, but in my group, we had some stories. And as we told those stories, many of us wept. Many of us cried. Many of us laughed. Many of us saw things about that individual that we really didn't know until they were able to open up. Every one of us has a story. You're sitting beside somebody today that has a story. You may think you know them. I will tell you, they've got a story. Kindness impacts every one of us. Most any relationship infused with kindness can be restored. One of the greatest things that we can do at home is to make our home life, to make it better is simply to practice kindness. Especially during these times. Simply to practice kindness. Children even understand about being kind. You don't got to teach them. They even understand that. There's a little girl, matter of fact, that, that learned the scripture in Sunday school in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, that said this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. Later on, <laughs> at home, mom and dad was, was fussing. I don't know whose water this is, but it's mine now. Later on, I don't know, mom and dad was fussing a little bit, and the little girl looked up at dad and said, Daddy, be ye kind. The other day, we was at... Adam and Catherine's, and, and, and Adam was saying something, and Ella looked up and said, Daddy, no, 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 no. They know these things. You don't have to teach them these things. They know those things. This Shunammite woman had her son restored. I want you to think, I want you to get that picture in your mind. This was a son that she didn't know she could have. This was a son, based upon her kindness, that Elisha said, God's going to bless you with a child. Now, all you mamas understand what I'm talking about when you understand you have that first child, how much it means, how you care for that first child. How many <laughs> children may have to answer this one. If, you're, if, you're, if you've got a brother and sister, you know what I'm talking about because, you know, we, we've heard this story all the time. When you have that first child, then you take all kinds of pictures, don't you? you got all kinds of video. If you've got a video camera and all that, you have pictures, you have video cameras, all of those kind of things. But when the second child shows up, you don't take so many pictures. You don't take so many video images and all of that, but if you have a three or four children, that last child, they don't get nothing. Can I get a witness? You try to go and you try to look and you try to find baby pictures of you and you can't, there is none because you're not the first child. This woman here had been promised by God, so that's why I wanted to set this up by, by letting you understand she loved this child, Brother Roger. It was a gift from God that because of her kindness that she showed the prophet, the, uh, the recipient of that. And all of us can have restoration, <coughs> excuse me, in our household. And it begins with something very simple as simply as practicing kindness. 
Not only did Elisha restore her son to life, but he also forewarned her about the coming famine, as our scripture alluded to. It would be seven years in duration, he said, and she would need to relocate her household. And she'd done that. Go outside the boundaries of this, of this home where you used to live. The famine was an ongoing chastisement, as many of you remember in Scripture, of God on the weakness of Ahab and all of his descendants. Elisha loved this woman. And I could go into detail about Elisha and his family, but I'm not, that's not my message this morning. But he loved this woman. He loved her family so much that he wanted them to be spared from the coming effects of the famine. I want you to notice the way that the woman embraced the change. Got to get up. Got to move. Been given a child. He's died. He's Elisha restored him back to life, and now I've got to move. This is one of the things that she done. She followed the instructions. Everybody say, follow the instructions. She followed the instructions of the man of God without any complaint. You will not find it in Scripture where she complained about leaving her home. Leaving her home. The second thing I noticed about this woman is, is that she was willing to change. Boy, that's a big one right there for us, isn't it? She was willing to change. Being willing to change is a key ingredient in restoring your household. What are you talking about, Pastor? If you've got a household that is sort of not loving, let me just put it that way, fussing a little bit, you have ill feelings toward the other one, somebody at some time has got to be willing to change. Amen. Say, Pastor, this is not the message I thought you were going to preach after Thanksgiving. Well, deal with it. It's a good one if we'll just get it. We've got to be willing to change. A lot of times we can say this with husbands and wives as well. You get into discussions. won't say arguments, but discussions. And those discussions lead you going to bed not talking to one another. Sometimes one of you needs to be willing to change in order to go to sleep and get a good night's sleep instead of tossing and turning because of your arguing, or I mean discussing. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's so we've got to be willing to say, I'm sorry. We've got to be willing to apologize. And most of the time, we don't have a clue what we fought about in the first place. But in a lot of families, this is very difficult. In a lot of families, it's very hard to do that. We've got to do our best. And I understand that sometimes... A brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a family member won't, won't, won't give that back to you. I, I get that. But at least you get it off of your shoulders. At least you're paying, you're paying, uh, uh, you're, you're giving them that kindness. We've got to be willing to change. It's not always easy to accept. The Shunammite woman here had to move to the land of the Philistines. That couldn't have been a simple move. Moving from one house all the way across town to another is not a simple thing. Leaving your comfort zone can be a challenging thing. But staying the same often leads to mediocrity, and sometimes it even puts our family at risk if we're not careful. It's got to change. I've, I've told this analogy before, but many of you probably are aware that when they first began to manufacture golf balls, they made the cover smooth, those of you, those of you that's golfers in the house. And it, then it was discovered that after the ball had been roughed up, they could get even more distance out of it. And so they started manufacturing these golf balls with little dimples in them to give the farthest distance. And so it is with life at times. Sometimes we've got to make changes in how we do things. Sometimes we've got to make changes in how we, we say things in order to go farther and to move further than where we are today. There's another word I want to leave with you today with this. When we talk about change, another good word for change is simply this. 
We don't like this word. It's called repent. Look over your neighbor and say, repent. 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 Revelations 2 and 5 says this. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. In other words, I'll take the light away. I'll take the light away from its place. Christ's words to the church at Ephesus here. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do your first works over. The Greek word for repent literally means to change your mind. Now I know, and I've got to be careful here because I'm going to get in trouble. We got women in the house. And I know y'all have changed your mind before. Yes, you have. Right, husbands? Y'all are scared to say right. I know it. Change your mind. Because a changed mind will result in a changed life. Amen. Think about that. If I'm doing something the same way, if I'd ever change, I'm not going to get any different results. But I've got to be willing to change my focus, change my mind, change my thought process if I want a different outcome. And so if I want a different outcome in my family or my, my, my spousal relationship or my family relationship or my church community relationship, I've got to be willing to change some myself. Amen. And I've got on this before, and I, I might not need to get back on here, but sometimes we have this feeling that when we reach a certain age, Help me, Lord, that we ain't got to change. We don't have to worry about what we say. We don't have to do those things like other people have to do. Who told you that? What lie are you believing today? What makes it different about that? that that's not true. I don't know where they would come up with that. It still applies to you and I today, no matter what age we may be. Amen. Change is a good thing. And we, and we, we won't stay the same. Maybe... Maybe when we think about change, we fear that we don't have the ability to change for some. Maybe we just don't want to put forth the effort to change. But to paraphrase this old saying, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. That's just all there is to it. But if you want to keep, if you want to keep bickering, if you want to keep fussing, if you want to keep having an overall unpleasant atmosphere in your home, then don't repent. Amen. If you want to keep that in your home, then don't change. If you want to keep that as a as a just a standard, the way this is the way we are, then don't do anything. But if you're tired of your home life giving you ulcers, if you're tired of your home life keeping you up at night, if you're tired of all those things, then somebody's got to be willing to change and let that somebody begin with you. Let it begin with you. Some might be quick to the point out that change made by the Shunammite woman didn't do her any good because when she got back, she'd lost her home. She had lost everything. Property had been confiscated by the state. I'll tell you, I don't, you don't need to ever under, un, underestimate the power of divine providence when it comes to God. God has you figured out. He's got everything you got figured out. He's got it in the palm of his hands. He understands all of those things. Providence refers to the care exercised by God over his creation and over his creatures. He understands all these things. It was clearly no coincidence, when we read in Scripture, it was no coincidence that the king and Elisha's servant, they were discussing the woman at the very time she shows up. At the very moment she appeared to make an appeal for the return of her property. Matter of fact, Christian, that happened to you. Just hit me all of a sudden when you first went down to school about your tuition, right? 
You just happened to be in the store at the right time this other lady was in the store. Can I tell you that she got a big check? And part of her tuition was paid for. Amen. All of it. Hey, that's even better than part of it. All of it. Why? Because of providence. Because of providence. She was willing to make a change. What was her change? I left home. That ain't easy to do. I know mom and daddy don't like that. But she was willing to change. She was willing to step out on something that was unfamiliar to her. And God made the way possible. Amen. God knows where you are. God knows where you are. God had already been at work preparing this king's heart to restore not only her land, but also all the proceeds of her crops that was harvested there. And I tell you this morning that God also knows the needs of your household. And if you just like this Shunammite woman and will be the kind of person that you need to be and make the changes that God leads you to make, he will certainly do his part to restore your household. To restore your household. What are the needs of your household today? What are the needs? I want the musicians, if they'll, just the piano to come, Michelle, to come play softly this morning. What are the needs of your household today that only God can meet? What are the, what are the needs of your household today? As you go into this, this holiday season, what are those things that's plaguing you today? What are those things that's causing a lot of tension in your homes today? What are those things in your life today that's causing you a lot of grief and turmoil, anguish today that you wish so much that you could change. The question I have for you, are you going to trust him to meet you and meet those needs today? Are you willing to make changes in your household today? Are you willing to make those changes? When you think about restoration, restoration is simply this. It's taking something, needing repair, and restoring it to its original condition. Now, I know, I know Scott enjoys doing this, but I don't know if anybody else in the house of taking old cars or taking old things and restoring them back to life. You may take old things that you have as far as decorations in your house and restoring them and, and doing a, a new, new paint job or a, a getting the rust out of, out of, off of it and all these things to restore it back to new. I enjoy watching those shows that take those things and just it seems like nobody has anything anymore. That, that you can't do nothing with it, and they'll take those things apart. And when the owner comes back and picks it up, it's so fresh-looking and so new-looking, it's restored to that original condition. Ephesians 2 and 1 says this, And you he made alive. I want you to think about that just a second. And you he made alive. Let me put it another way. You he created you to be alive. He created you to move. He created you to not stay where we are. He created us to be alive. Listen. He, he made you to be alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit of now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others, just as everybody else. We just done our thing just like everybody else did. Now listen to me, church. Don't, don't get so quick here to, to get ready to leave. He made you to be alive. 
But we all were dead in our trespasses, every one of us. I don't care who you are. We were dead in our sins. Some of us may be here today and we're still dead in our sin. But that's not how he created you. We may be here today and we're, we're not quickened in the spirit. We're not moved by a move of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about. We're just, we're just here. We may not see the sense of giving our heart to the Lord. We may not understand what's at stake. I want to tell you, please listen to me today. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. It was created for the devil and his angels, not for you. But if you don't give your heart to the Lord, I'm not trying to be hard today, just giving you truth. If you don't give your heart to the Lord, when he comes, you will not be a part of the family of God. But pastor, he's a God of love. Yes, he is. That's why he's giving you opportunity right now to give your heart to him. What are you going to do with it? What are the needs of your household today? What are the needs of your household today? Could it be possible that you have all kinds of issues and problems breaking out of your home simply because you've chosen not to follow Christ? He made you to be alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were just like, you were just like the nature, uh, the, the, the children of wrath. You were just like the others. But verse 4 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's put it another way. By grace, you have been restored. By grace, you have been set free. By grace, you are now no longer a part of the children of wrath. By grace, you are no longer just like all the others. By grace, you're set apart today. By grace, you're blood-bought today. By grace, you're part of the family of God today. By grace, I'm an heir of the throne today. By grace, my big brother is Jesus Christ. He's coming back after me one day, and I'm going to be home one day. By grace, I've been set free today. Hallelujah. Today, I've been restored. All heads bowed and eyes closed today. Let me ask you the question. Are you restored today? Are you restored today? Are you set free today? Are you delivered today? Can you honestly sit here today and say, Pastor, I'm ready to go. If Jesus Christ comes, I'm ready to go. If you can say that, then God bless you. But if you know today, and you know who you are, if you know today that you cannot say that today, why? Why are you not giving your heart to the Lord? Why are you not surrendering your life to Christ and allow Him to restore you today? With all heads bowed and eyes closed, listen, please listen. And you'd be so bold to raise your hand I'm not talking about just coming down. I'm just, talking, I'm just talking about raising your hand where you are. You'd be so bold to say, Pastor, i got to get my life right, and I want to do it today. Was that you? If you just raise up your hand, I want you to pray for me. 
I want you to ask God to come into my life, come into my heart today. All over the house, in the balcony, on this main floor, if that's you, I need Jesus in my life today. When I die, I want to know that I go to heaven. If Jesus comes back, I want to know that I'm part of the family of God. I want to know that I'm blood-bought today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, according to your word in Ephesians, you made us to be alive. You didn't make us to be dead in our trespasses, even though we were. Lord, you don't want us to be sick in body, even though at times we are. But God, you've provided a way. You've provided a course of action that we need to take and must take as the body of Christ. Lord, the best of my ability, I didn't see any hand that was lifted up today unless I missed somebody. And God, for that, I'm thankful today because that tells me and lets me know that everybody in the house is born again. And hallelujah for that. But Lord, if by chance that I didn't see their hand or if somebody failed to raise their hand, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to go into their heart today. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to bug them enough. You'd cause them to be uneasy. That they would recognize the fact that they need the Lord in their life today. Help us to be alive in you. Help us to understand that by grace we're saved. Help us to understand that by grace we've been set free. Help them to understand, oh God, that by grace we've been delivered from the clutches of the enemy that he has upon our land today and upon our life today. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. I ask it in Jesus' name. I ask it in your holy, precious, wonderful name. Hallelujah. Amen.